Hey guys, Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. We're only a week away from the Australian Grand Prix. Hope everyone is okay and are not out at the moment um, stocking up on toilet paper. Yep, you heard me. I'm sure if you know what's going on here, there seems to be this mass epidemic about um, buying toilet paper. <laughs> Uh, and it's and it's it's just unbelievable you know the amount of and I'm going to say it mouth breathers out there that are just raiding the shelves in every single supermarket of toilet paper is ridiculous I mean if if we all had to go into quarantine or you know be stuck in our homes for for months on end or whatever toilet paper is the last thing that I would want you know I'd I'd be looking at other things you know I mean Alcohol would probably be one of those things. Um, snacks, you know. I, I reckon this is the right time. If you are a plumber, you should be getting a lot of calls, you know, from people wanting to get bidets installed. You know, that that would be a solution. But seriously, it is it is ridiculous that um, just actually went for, for do my went to do my usual weekly grocery shop um, just before and. <laughs> <laughs> they've actually got notices now saying there is a limit to how much you can buy not that there was any on the shelves anyway so uh yeah why this is happening it's all to do with coronavirus and i'm pretty sure australia is the only country in the world that i've heard that this sort of panic buying is going on so i mean what does this say about our public <laughs> it's yeah it's it's not a very proud moment at all so yeah you know if you guys are not too busy buying toilet paper out there i hope you're getting ready for another season of formula one um the championship about to start or is it you know there's that question too but it seems like we are assured that the race will go ahead even though ross braun has come out and said that if one team doesn't race then there will be no race at all so basically adding on from the possible threat of the virus in Italy to the teams that are based there Ferrari and Alfa Tauri but also Ferrari personnel work with Haas and also for Alfa Romeo too because they're the customer teams and then let's not forget Pirelli you know, we can't have a championship without a tyre. We can't race cars without tyres. So um, Pirelli as well, based in Italy, and they had to cancel a um, 2021, I think it was an 18-inch rim tyre test uh, that they were going to do this week um, over there at Fiorano. So, yeah, that's that's the state of play at the moment. But, you know, if everything is to go ahead, then, you know, it looks like we had a quite a few talking points from testing that I wanted to talk about actually um, first off and we'll get straight stuck in we'll get stuck straight into it stuck straight into it yeah that sounds right not straight stuck into it <laughs> always seem to find a way to muck up my words but anyway that that's what keeps it real around here you know there's no there's no scripts or teleprompters or whatever you know it's all it's all real I like keeping things real as you know so Straight off the bat, Mercedes fastest. They were fastest quite comfortably, you got to say, too, by, you know, half a second on the second fastest time of the test, which was set by Max Verstappen. And I don't think even Verstappen used the C5 tyre to set that um, lap. So, you know, for Mercedes to come out 
set the fastest time. And this was in the first test as well. You would remember me saying last week that, you know, Valtteri Bottas set a 115.7 um, on that C5 tie. That was done in the first test. So, you know, kudos to them. They completed the most laps as well, as you'd expect, 903 laps in total, which was, you know, quite comfortably ahead of um, their next most laps completed, which was by Ferrari. Um, you got to just say overall, Mercedes do look quite bulletproof again, fast, reliable. We talked about DAS, DAS last week, the dual axis steering, so I'm not going to shed any more light on that this time because um, there wasn't much to it in the second week. You know, we know it's there, we know that they're using it possibility that they will have it in Australia as well next week um, according to Valtteri Bottas the only thing though with Mercedes is that there is some concern now and Lewis Hamilton raised this um, towards the end of the test after they had some reliability problems is that that could be a concern for Melbourne so whether we read into that too much or not is totally up to up to the individual but they still have a solid package they still are in a position where you know they've had solid race runs um they could easily win in melbourne you know that's that's a given or at least even finish on the podium if this reliability concern is going to be something that they're really worried about and might have to scale back how much they used or use their engine you know how far they push it so and you know, Mercedes in the hybrid era anyway since 2014 have always been on the podium in Melbourne. They've won every race bar two, which was um, Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari took those in 2017 and 18. So not really concerned. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. You know, they perhaps know more than we do. Obviously they do, but at the same time, this could be Mercedes kind of um, sandbagging a little bit as well to make everyone believe that there is a slight chink in their armor and that they're not going to be invincible as we are thinking that they might be so that's that's mercedes not much to to go um on them as far as uh yeah analyzing where they're at and everything they're still the class of the field they're the benchmark you know if they can go and innovate things like dual axis steering then it means that they already have a solid base to work off and hats off to them as well they announced earlier this week in lieu of the geneva motor show which has been cancelled <laughs> due to the coronavirus as well um that they aim to be completely carbon neutral by the end of 2020 so this is their motorsport division with um obviously formula e side of things as well but then high HPP, the high-performance powertrains in Bricksworth that develop the Mercedes power units for the other teams as well on the Formula One grids. So, you know, Formula Formula One itself announced that by 2030 it aims for the entire sport to be carbon neutral, net zero carbon, so zero emissions altogether. So for Mercedes to set their personal goal as to the end of 2020, um to achieve that is quite something you know it just continues to show that they they're the class leaders they're the innovators and perhaps this will be the catalyst to all the other teams perhaps pushing towards that um goal as well and perhaps you know you could also say it hints towards their future as well because remember only a couple of months ago there was a lot of or even a month ago sorry um before the preseason started there was a lot of speculation about whether 
they would be staying in Formula One beyond 2020. So, you know, with a new Concord agreement up and everything um, and commercial rights package to be negotiated this year for 2021, um, Perhaps this is a sign that they do have a long-term future in F1 um, as a as a works team. So the talk about Aston Martin taking over from the Brackley team obviously won't happen because they're going to be buy, they've bought into Racing Point. So they will be on the grid in a separate entity next year. So perhaps we will see Mercedes in 2021 and beyond on the F1 grid. Perhaps we'll see Lewis Hamilton still driving for them as well because that's another big talking point. I'm sure we're going to discuss plenty this season about his future too. So that's Mercedes there. Ferrari, as I said last week after the first test, you know, they're talking down their hopes for this season. How far behind are they though? That's the question. Um, They finished second best as far as laps completed. They had 844 on the board. Um, And I've written a little talking points piece um, from testing as well, which I'm hoping to uh, get published hopefully for tomorrow, basically saying that it kind of links to the final for the next to the next whole point that I'm going to talk about separately, and that's um, Ferrari and their 2019 power unit, which copped a lot of scrutiny at the end of last season and then we had that technical directive as well that kind of supposedly stopped it so has Ferrari given up their advantage as far as power is concerned because the car now the SF1000 doesn't seem as powerful as its predecessor it didn't really feature heavily on the speed traps either during testing which is you know usually the sign that yeah they're not they haven't really focused on power in this car I mean the team want to say that yeah they've looked at the deficits that they had last year and that was aero and they focused more on that this year to try and have a more balanced car but as a result it's a much slower car than what they had 12 months ago or not really because um, their lap times are probably quicker than testing last year but in comparison to Mercedes it definitely at the moment seems a bit slower so we could be wrong they could be you know, just sandbagging completely and just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're behind and then magically find that, what is it at the moment, Um, more than, yeah, you know, just, yeah, just over six-tenths of a second between ultimate lap times. Um, So Ferrari's fastest time in testing was from Leclerc in test two, 116.3 116.3 to Mercedes 115.7 so you know set on the same C5 tyre as well uh, there is that you know 610th deficit again so we might not see that when we come to Melbourne but at the same time there is a bit of concern about them whether how how far behind are they they've come out in the press and said things like well if we don't hit the ground running or if we don't have a credible enough championship challenge at the start of the season then they're going to have to just focus on 2021 because that's when you know we've got the significant change in regulations it's going to be a lot more you know there's more of a chance for them to capitalize on that if they're not focusing on trying to win in 2020 if they start on the back foot so saying things like that doesn't really fill anyone with hope fill any Ferrari fan with hope at at that you know you know the hope is that they can challenge for this championship along with Red Bull but at this stage Red Bull seem like they're closer to Mercedes than Ferrari are so yeah we'll have to see come Melbourne 
but yeah, don't get your hopes up, I'd say. So Ferrari as well, um, their fastest lap time was a tenth slower than um, Renault's fastest lap even. So Renault have kind of jumped ahead of them as far as ultimate pace is concerned but again this could be due to a number of factors um ferrari keeping their power unit turned down or they've lost power over the off season because of this um you know controversy controversy from last year uh so basically filling you guys in with what happened last year there was a um sort of an investigation that went into Ferrari's power unit. There was some conjecture as to whether they were gaining a power advantage by tricking the fuel flow um, system or the fuel flow measurement system, which, you know, you can't burn more than a certain amount of fuel um, that's in the regulations, but and that's why they've got that sensor in there to be able to pick up any irregularities. But Ferrari seemingly supposedly found a way to trick that sensor and burn off a bit of extra fuel when the um not during the the intervals um when the sensor is supposed to pick up the the reading so that is what people have sort of deliberated as to how they had their advantage in qualifying last year remember Charles Leclerc was you know mighty in qualifying had the most qualifyings or sorry most pole positions of anyone last season and just the advantages you know they were finding up to half a second in some instances over the rest of the field so that's what kept everyone scratching their heads and then we had this investigation blah 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 there was a settlement that was announced at the end of the second test, just half an hour before the day finished, a statement came out from the FIA about a settlement being reached, but I will talk about that in a bit more depth in a few moments' time, so don't stress, I will get onto it. But yeah, Renault quicker at the end of the second test than Ferrari. I mean, good for Renault. I've got to talk about them as well at some point, what their chances are or how they appeared in testing, but before that, Red Bull... They still seem to be keeping their cards close to their chest. Um, no ultimate lap time on the C5 tyre. Uh, Verstappen with that second fastest lap that he had um, overall when you compare the two tests, that was set on the C4 tyre. Um, and it was a 116.22, Bottas's 115.7. But lap-wise, you know, Red Bull completed 780, which is pretty positive, actually, when you consider their tests in the past few years with um, problems with their engine partners previously Renault and then even last year their first season with Honda just acclimatizing and getting used to everything this year they seem to have hit the ground running a bit more um, bit more confidently and that's what they need do Red Bull this year they have said themselves that to be able to be in the championship fight this year they've got to hit the ground running they've got to show up in Melbourne able to challenge Mercedes straight off the bat so good on them for for doing it the essence will be um in the pudding I guess when we get to Melbourne when we see the first few races obviously China is not going to be there Uh, that's been postponed as I said a couple of weeks ago and then now even Bahrain is under threat too given they've got the 14 day um turnaround or whatever for people traveling out of certain countries at the moment so that might be a bit difficult too we don't know what's going on there so that's Red Bull they've got to hit the ground running Um, if we don't have a Bahrain Grand Prix well then we wait 
basically a month till we get to Vietnam. So, you know, Vietnam, Australia, Vietnam, and then to the Netherlands, to, to the Dutch Grand Prix. So Red Bull, got to be up there. Verstappen, we know that he's going to be on the ball straight away. It's just whether they've got the car to be able to sustain it and do it all season long. Because again, like Ferrari, they do sometimes taper away at the end of the season or they come strong at the end of the season having started the year off slowly so can't be one or the other it's got to be yep straight off the um straight off the boat they've got to be on the pace and on the money i talked last week as well about racing point the pink mercedes potentially being a threat to the top three as many other people have in the pre-season Rivals, I guess they're still not happy about Mercedes, sorry, Racing Point essentially taking a photocopier and 3D printer to to print out um, and copy the Mercedes from last year, the championship winning Mercedes from last year. So, you know, Sergio Perez has pretty much said this is the best F1 car he's driven. There is the threat that they could be bothering the top three early on in the season, especially given that Ferrari may be starting on the back foot here. So if we rock up to Melbourne and we see a pink car on the podium, that would be something, you know, to, for them to be ahead of Ferrari at this point in the year. If that's the case and they are in that position, then fourth in the Constructors' Championship is pretty much theirs. You know, there's no other battle for it. You know, they've clearly bridged that gap to the top three and then also put some distance between themselves and the rest of the midfield which, you know, we suspect could still be headed up by McLaren. You know, they clocked up the third most laps behind Mercedes and Ferrari with 802. They did a lot of long runs, you know, race runs, looking very solid there. Um, played it close to the chest in as far as their ultimate pace was concerned, I think. Um, they, you know, just going out and doing their own programs and some upgrades to come to the car as well hopefully for Melbourne so we might see that qualifying pace upped a little bit but yeah racing point they definitely seem like they're on it and you know only a shock or a miracle might see them not turn up to Melbourne with the the fourth or possibly the third fastest car Renault, I guess, yeah, as I said, their pace not shown till the end of testing. Their lap count was pretty meagre, you got to say, compared to where they should be up amongst the McLarens and whatnot of the world. 743 laps, so, you know, it will be a tight battle in the midfield, but what we don't often, or what I often, sorry, I should say, stress about Renault is the fact that they are a manufacturer team and they're the expectation is for them to be closer to the top three than, say, a customer team like Racing Point, regardless of whether they've not, <laughs> whether or not they've copied a um, a different car. So Renault have got to be up there. It was a good lap time, I guess, from Daniel Ricciardo and whatnot. But the expectation is for them to be fourth or better this year. You know, there's no there's no two words about it. If not this year, then They've seriously got to question their commitment to the sport, you know, their long-term future in Formula 1. I know there's going, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there. Obviously, we remember our old friend Carlos Ghosn last year ending up in prison in Japan, ended up breaking out of prison and f- fled the country as well um, over the off-season. So, you know, a lot of boardroom nonsense going on there with Renault, but 
ultimately if they want to go racing and go racing as a manufacturer team the expectation is for them to be achieving a whole lot more than they are at the moment and with a guy like Daniel Ricciardo there's no excuses either because he is a proven race winner he was dubbed to be a championship contender once upon a time and again you know another driver who as he gets older that opportunity might be slipping away from him and also his decision to move to Renault as well last year might be called into called under fair a fair <laughs> called under more scrutiny as well this year um, if there's no results to show for it and if even he gets shown up by Esteban Ocon as well which will be an interesting dynamic that we're going to follow this year given that Ocon and Perez in the past when they were at Racing Point or Force India back in the day um, that was a very fiery dynamic with the two guys really um, digging at each other's heels and whatnot. So that's that. Um, any other teams in the midfield that should be up there with Renault and McLaren? Look, I think Renault and McLaren, Racing Point, that could be a group on its own, sort of the front of the midfield. Then you've got Alpha Tauri and Alpha Romeo kind of in the that second tier of the midfield. And then... I'd put Haas and Williams at the back of the midfield. So that's bad news for one of those guys and good news for one of the other. Um, Williams, it's good news for them because it means they're a lot closer to the midfield this year than last. You know, we talked about they've had a much more positive testing period this year than they did last year. To actually be able to get out on track in the first test, you know, and also first day, they were the first car to actually get out on track and start plugging in those laps, so, you know, that's good for them, and hopefully they will be able to um, hit the ground running in Melbourne, and also be on the cusp or score some points early on in the championship, you know, Haas, there's a big concern around them, you know, the fact that they didn't really complete as many laps, they were behind even Williams as far as laps completed, Alfa Romeo was second last, and then you've got Haas there, so their problems from last year obviously well documented, um, also this year we are still using the same tyres from last year, you know, the 2019 spec, because all the teams unanimously, unanimously disagreed with the 2020 spec, so if their car is an evolution of last year's car, then they've had more time to be able to try and understand these tyres, the fact that we're still using the same tyres this year, they should have greater understanding, and then also the team as well, you know, the dynamic between the two drivers, not that great, you got to say, between Grosjean and Magnussen, but they're going to have to get results, because this year is going to be a big year for them, Gene Haas himself has already come out and said, early on in the year, they're going to determine whether this is viable for them, is it going to be worth continuing on in Formula One if they're going to show results like this and you know a lot of people have criticized Haas obviously for their business model and this is where it's kind of hubris for them to go out and attack Racing Point because after all Haas they outsource pretty much all their components you know their chassis is designed entirely by Delara they have Ferrari power unit they have Ferrari gearbox they've got all other components from different parts of the world so for them to then go out and say oh well Racing Point copied someone else's car well Racing Point actually still built all that stuff in-house whereas Haas sort of just 
gets all the bit, orders the bits in, and then assembles them in-house rather than actually building them. So it's it'd be a shame to lose someone like Haas. You know, they hit the ground running when they first came into the championship and they were really an exciting injection into the midfield. But, you know, if they are going to taper away then and just make up the numbers, then you have to say that perhaps it's not the, the right thing for them at the end. So interesting days. Um, I'll do a proper preview of the year ahead and also the Australian Grand Prix next time out in under seven days time because yeah we'll be hitting the track next week next Friday first practice session really exciting all right so as I said before Ferrari came to a confidential settlement with the FIA or vice versa about the um, investigation into its 2019 power unit and as I said, just before the end of the second test, half an hour before, in fact, there was a statement that came out talking about a confidential settlement. Um, at the end of it, basically, the conclusion neither confirmed or denied that the engine was illegal um, in 2019. And where the furor has come out is that all the non-Ferrari teams last night in unison was the first time I've ever seen them do something all in unison together, is issue a statement saying that they are shocked, basically, at um, and surprised at the confidential settlement between those two. Why? Because the team want, the other teams want answers as to what was going on in 2019. They want transparency, which is, you know, key, given that you're dealing with the regulator of a sport, the governing body, which is the FIA, and they've got to be transparent with all their parties, you know, basically in this instance, all the other teams, because they want to know what was going on last year, because they're the ones who raised the issue in the first place as to, you know, the legality of Ferrari's power unit. Again, you know, in the past, we have seen instances where, you know, people have come out and said that the FIA favour Ferrari, or Ferrari is... Um, what do you call, you know, the, the favourite pet of the FIA, Ferrari International Assistance, is what the FIA stands for. I'm not going to go into any of that sort of stuff, but why can't they, you know, instead of, you know, publish, I mean, they don't have to publish it for the wider public to know, but why can't they provide details to the teams as to what was going on? Because as I said before, you know, it was neither confirmed or denied that Ferrari were doing what I was saying and burning that extra fuel when the fuel flow sensor was not picking it up to get that power advantage. So at the end of the day, if they've got nothing to hide, then they should come out and say it publicly. If indeed that they were doing something illegal, then the teams have a right to know because then it changes the result of three races, you know, the three races that Ferrari won last year, all those pole positions, um, basically using a non-compliant engine, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge breach, and, you know, at the moment, the FIA haven't responded or said anything in regards to this, but I feel once we get to Melbourne next year, or once, sorry, not next year, and not we get to Melbourne, once the teams get to Melbourne, because I'm already in Melbourne, once the teams and everyone gets to Melbourne next week, this is going to be ongoing where the teams could also seek legal action as far as this is concerned as well if they feel that their regulator, the FIA, have not done a good enough job or are keeping secrets which should be known to all the other teams, um, then they have a right to know and are 
in the right to pursue legal action, which could be very, very, very drawn out and long and possibly, <laughs> you know, destabilizing for the championship too this year because, you know, we want a good championship. We want to be able to get the racing happening and talk about the racing on track, not, you know, talk about all the off-track stuff, which sometimes does dominate a championship. So, you know, what's this space? I think, you know, this is going to get only worse. Is it going to be worse than the toilet paper epidemic? Who knows? I'd say this is probably more important than toilet paper at this stage. So, yeah. (laughs) Moving it along, um... Drive to Survive, I was excited last week, you would have heard um, about the second season, which came out last Friday, finally watched all the episodes, had a good binge over the weekend, and yeah, as as always, great, you know, um, enjoyed it, it was, you know, great to see Formula One again opening its doors and having a fly on the wall kind of experience with things that, you know, normally we're not really privy to see, and then for the casual viewer who probably has no interest in F1 at all also can take this in see the emotional side of things the human side of things and really enjoy and sit back and say wow um a few thoughts on it though it wasn't all you know sunshine and lollipops and rainbows uh I felt that the structure did sometimes pander too much to non-F1 fans you know just a few inaccuracies thing like things like uh, chiefly this was like one big inaccuracy which even the driver called out in the end was um in the episode raging bulls we saw a um photo of a young alex albon um when he was a kid and together that he was in the photo with someone else which they in the show labeled as one manual correa um and correa himself tweeted out saying well you know thanks for the thought but that's not actually me so it looks nothing like him or looks very little like him. So obviously Raging Bulls, the episode um, focusing on the Belgian Grand Prix last year, Albon, a bit of his background and also him being promoted to Red Bull, but also having that um, narrative of the tragic events that took place that weekend in Belgium um, with the passing of Antoine Hubert and also um, Correa himself being seriously injured in that crash that took place in qualifying so it was a bit harrowing actually seeing those scenes you know um, you could have you had the drivers in the pen being interviewed post qualifying and then you know Lewis Hamilton obviously there as well his reaction because they had the F2 race on in the background on the big screens and he caught what was going on and yeah his reaction was you know of basically he was horrified as with the other drivers Pierre Gasly also seen because it was a key episode as well in his narrative given that he was demoted and sent back to to Toro Rosso that year Um, they did that really well the narrative around him and Albon and then obviously um, closing it off at the Belgian or sorry the Brazilian Grand Prix in the final episode with Gasly ending up on the podium few people not happy obviously with their portrayal in this like Max Verstappen of course you got to say ask the question about whether there's a skewed agenda Um, at the end of the day it all goes back to the inaccuracies and stuff and I think they're just doing this for for that Hollywood feel or to make it that there is you know heroes and villains and there is a story to be told through this so you know obviously in 
something like this, there are going to be people not happy with the way that they're portrayed. So perhaps we might get a different portrayal of Max throughout season 2020 and when we see season three of Drive to Survive next year. Um, some of my highlights, though, some of my favorite episodes in this season, Boiling Point, which is the second episode, was truly intense, i got to say, um, looking at the lowest points of Haas last year. Um, I really liked how their controversial sponsorship with Rich Energy was also portrayed as well. We got some words from William Story, the enigma that he is. Um, I still look at my can of Rich Energy, my empty can of Rich Energy, and just look and laugh, you know that the fact that I actually got a can of the stuff, it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a valuable ornament someday, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I could sell it, go down to, you know, swap meet or something and someone will buy it off me for for thousand bucks or something. I I totally doubt that, but, you know, it sounded good when I was talking about it or thinking it in my head. So yeah, you know, between that and also their own form that year, I'm struggling to understand the tires you know, the Austrian Grand Prix was obviously a big, big low point for them because, you know, they qualified in the top 10, um, they had a penalty, but they were still in the top 10 with Kevin Magnussen, but then, you know, in the race, they just dropped off altogether, and it was really the starting sign of what we just talked about earlier, about Gene Haas potentially making a decision to, on the F1 future of his team, whether they stay or whether they, they go at the end of this year, because if they have another difficult year like they did last year, then perhaps, you know, it's not the investment that Gene wants to, to continue making, um, especially if they're going to be at the back of the field and unable to race their rivals like we saw in previous seasons. So that was really intense. You know, we got a lot of Gunter Steiner swearing, as any, everyone would be hoping to hear um, that scene as well, where which was kind of more like an audio clip where after the race he had um, both Magnussen and Grosjean in the office together. Oh, no, this was, sorry, Silverstone, where he had both his drivers together in the office and Magnussen um, slammed the door or broke Gunter's door and then Gunter basically just runs out trying to chase <laughs> chase Kevin. It's like, if he does that again, I will do something completely different. It's just hilarious, you know, you don't see that. And everyone, you know, who you talk to who know Gunter Steiner, who knows Gunter Steiner, obviously say that he's totally a pussycat and he's not like that at all in, in person. Um... Or, you know, if you're, if you're good to him or whatever. But it's just, you know, this is when he's fired up, this is what happens. So that's, the, that's you know, I guess you could say some comedic value in that. But also see the intensity of the situation that they're in as well. Uh, next episode, that was one of my favorites. Dogfight, you know, continuing the narrative from season one of um, Daniel Ricciardo and Carlos Sainz. Um, where they tied together was that Ricciardo went to Renault. Um, Renault announced Ricardo as their driver for 2019, which basically left Carlos Sainz on the outer. Um, Sainz then, it, sh- it showed, you know, how they talked about how he had to basically scramble to find another seat for 2019, and he ended up at McLaren. And then the strange, I guess, karma around that switch as well, that, you know, in going to McLaren, Sainz has progressed his career, you know, and helped basically in the turnaround of that team you know it shows that he moved closer to the factory in um in Woking 
he basically moved from Spain to England or where he was living previously to be able to be closer to the team, to be able to have more input at the factory as well with the design of the car. Same thing for this year too, which is good to see from both the McLaren drivers, um, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. But, you know, this revival that McLaren underwent last year, um, seeing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, especially on Carlos's side as well, was really good. And then when we got to the Spanish Grand Prix, obviously, um, science involved in a battle with Ricardo and basically came out on top. So, you know, if one thing you can take away from that, from an outsider's perspective, is that while science made the right move, you know, maybe the being ditched from Renault was a blessing in disguise and it's paid dividends, whereas for Ricardo, it was basically struggle street last year and totally different. So from that point of view, yeah, continuing the narrative from last year, that was really, um, really good for, for that episode. Um, Dark Days, it was a bit of a divisive episode. Some people enjoyed it. Some people really liked it. Sorry, some people enjoyed it. Some people didn't like it. I did really enjoy that one, um, an emotional episode focusing around Mercedes, which was good to see them featured properly this year with behind-the-scenes stuff and, you know, cameras in their briefing room as well when they're doing their briefing um, and seeing Lewis Hamilton as well involved a bit more. So, you know, starts off really emotional, obviously, with the Monaco Grand Prix and the emotion around that weekend with the loss of Nicky Lauda, um, such a key part of that team, as you know, I've spoken many times on this podcast about, but then also what everyone was excited for was the German Grand Prix and how they agreed to let Netflix film during that weekend, and instead of being the fairy tale weekend that they had hoped for, it turned out to be a complete horror show, or a black comedy horror show, as, um, Danny Kvyat described it last year so seeing the raw emotion on that side you know the fact that they you know Toto Wolf came out and said that they don't proportion blame towards any individual they win and lose together as a team I think was really important when actually um, watching the episode and then seeing Lewis as well Lewis Hamilton a different side to him you know basically accepting responsibility at one stage you know he was very gutted um in that debrief um, that was really really good to see as well in that debrief after the german grand prix and basically being consoled by toto is like no it's not your fault you know we win and lose together as a team and then for toto to as well open up and say look you know he how much he misses nikki um you know they used to drive together to the track every day to every race you know drive back to the hotel from the track as well they'd have dinner every night you know and it basically show that there's a hole in toto wolf's life now that nikki louder used to feel given that they were such close friends and not having that companion with you to talk to every day is um is a big thing that i'm sure we all as humans understand um if we have lost you know people in our lives or they're not there anymore and whatnot so yeah that was a really um emotional episode it was really good the way that they um portrayed mercedes i really enjoyed it i did not enjoy the episode that centered around ferrari seeing red that was the episode title basically more so it was focused on the latter part of the season didn't really talk too much about you know the three races that they won Uh, apart from Singapore it showed the friction between the two drivers there and then it focused more around the 
United States Grand Prix. So trying to portray, you know, that the Ferrari drivers, Vettel and Leclerc, are still friends or whatever they're saying in the media is not really the true image. They, you know, as the um, press officer Sylvia said, you know, you can kiss if you want to to show them that you're you're actually still unified or whatever. So, um, yeah, just, I don't know, it just didn't click with me that episode for a few reasons that I can't really nail at the moment but yeah just really wasn't as great as the others I've got to say so overall you know the season of the show season two was kind of up and down it was great at times then at times it got really boring or it just felt like it was pandering too much towards one one particular audience and then sometimes it was pandering towards another audience so you know, it's still a strong season, you know, if you enjoyed the first season, definitely watch it still, but, you know, I hope that it continues for, for next year, and I'm sure it will do, or they are already filming for, for season three, and also we get a better season next year, so that's that's that on Drive to Survive. Lastly then, let's do a bit of Hit the Globe, see what's going on around the world, because um, there's quite a, been quite a bit of news anyway that I wanted to talk about, and we'll just kind of glean over it um, really quickly at the end of this episode, and most of it unfortunately has to do with coronavirus actually, because it it's wreaking havoc everywhere, um, although I don't see other people panic buying toilet paper unlike the Australians are, so... Shame on you, Australia. You know, you could you could be panic buying other things, but toilet paper, really? I, I just uh, I, I have to bring it up because it's just it's a national embarrassment, I think. <laughs> so MotoGP, well, the Qatar Grand Prix has been cancelled, uh, not for Moto2 and Moto3 because those guys are already in the country, so they don't have to go through the quarantine laws so obviously um, they've introduced or they've got a quarantine law in place where if you're coming from certain countries such as Italy you've got to be quarantined for 14 days before being um, allowed access into Qatar itself so obviously a lot of people coming from Italy for the Grand Prix um, and it was just logistically not possible, so they've decided to cancel. The Thai Grand Prix, which was um, supposed to follow Qatar, has also been postponed. Um, they haven't set a date for it to resume later on in the year. Um, you'd think maybe they'd be able to squeeze it in um, where it was normally at between Japanese and also Australian Grand Prix, but two, the first two races for MotoGP called off. Um, we'll still get to see Moto2, Moto3 though in Qatar this weekend, but yeah, for MotoGP to lose two races like that, that is really serious, and then of course I already mentioned how, you know, the Australian Grand Prix, they're talking about that, Ferrari, Alfa Tauri, Pirelli and all that, so it's just a situation that is changing day by day. So shame for MotoGP, but at the end of the day, it is the right decision because, you know, you don't want to risk spreading this further and also given that these people you know these championships travel all over the world you don't want multiple people to end up getting it you know not only just the teams and crews and everything but also your media your other stakeholders your fans as well who go to the track so and other employees who work at the track during the event so it's quite a big deal when you look at the scale of um, the event and how many people are involved also Supercars then, well, you know, it was a bit 
not controversial, but, you know, there was a lot of question marks about Techno and Team Sydney this year. And we got the bombshell after the Adelaide 500 that James Courtney had departed effective immediately, along with his partner, Boost Mobile. No replacement has been confirmed, but apparently there were some agreements that were not honoured between James Courtney and also the team owner or co-team owner, Jonathan Webb. So is this project doomed to fail? Well, the fact that, you know, your star driver has basically left after one race and taken with him the big sponsor that he procured only the day before the event started, the first event that is, it just goes to show you that there is a lot of trouble with that team. They have reaffirmed that they're going to continue this year with two cars. Chris Pither will remain um, in that second car. Coca-Cola will be staying on as a sponsor. So whether who who's going to be in that um, Courtney car now is going to be the big question heading into the second round at the Grand Prix next week, the support round, and also what sponsorship are going to, they're going to have on that car too. So that's big news actually. Where does JC go now after this? Well, it's going to be hard for him to end up on the grid full-time for the rest of the year. Um, there are a lot of enduro options still open. Um, Brad Jones Racing, one of them, uh, Matt Stone Racing, I think, no, they're, they're locked out, so, you know, somewhere like a Brad Jones Racing, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United already put out, had to put out a statement saying that, you know, they're sticking by their enduro drivers, that there's no James Courtney coming back to them, so that rules out that, I didn't even think that that would be an option to begin with, so, you know, it's a real shame to lose someone of Courtney's calibre for the rest of the season, until the enduros at least, anyway. Formula E, well, we had a great race in Marrakesh, um, really enjoying this season, my first season watching every single race, even though I watched them on demand um, the following morning, it's very enjoyable, Antonio Felix da Costa winning, taking Cheetah's first win of the season as well, um, and also a very sick Jean-Eric Verne, who potentially could have even had coronavirus, you never know, he wasn't hoarding toilet paper, was he? No, he was busy racing in... Marrakesh and fought back to P2 after a dismal qualifying effort so great race for those guys one and two in the championship BMW Iron Dreddy still very much a threat with um, Maxi Gunter finishing third I believe at the end of that race and gotta say Nick DeVries is doing quite well too qualifying was really good for him he was racing on towards possibly a podium but then there was a penalty given to him for a technical infringement so that was not very good for them but it's been a great season so far so we'll wait and see how it progresses when we get to the next race apologies as i get that yawn out of the way <laughs> moving it on it's super 5000 oh, i keep saying it's super 5000 it's s5000 damn it um, yeah, S5000, um, obviously last year started here in Australia, a new open wheel category. They are going to have a support round at the Grand Prix, as you might already know or not know, but it's the roster of drivers that are assembling that seems to be really, really intriguing. So we knew last year that Rubens Barrichello would be coming back to do it, um, James Davison as well, um, cousin of, or is he brother of Will Davison, the supercars racer, and he does IndyCar at the moment um, abroad in the United States. But in the last week, we've had Giancarlo Fisicella confirmed that he will be on the grid for Super 5000. We have Jack Aitken, the... Formula 2 race winner, and this year he is the Williams reserve driver. 
um, having cut ties with Renault at the end of last year. He's Williams's reserve driver, but he will also be racing at Albert Park in an S5000 car as teammate to Rubens Barrichello, actually. So be very much looking forward to seeing Jack Aitken here. Hopefully he brings with him some WTF1 sponsorship as well. That would be good to see at Albert Park. And then, of course, um, Thomas Randall as well, who is actually... Um, skipping his opening round of chemotherapy, he's been given the green light by the doctors. He's been um, he's skipping his first round of chemotherapy um, to actually do S five thousand in in Melbourne. So that'll be really good to see as well. Him, we detailed what he's going through last week, of course, with his battle with testicular cancer. So very exciting to see him line up on that grid as well as all the other regulars that I'm sure will put on a good show I'm just the only thing I'm gutted about is that we're not going to see Australian GT there this year so there's a lot going on with those guys behind the scenes and you know you kind of worry about the the survival of that championship if you know we don't have a lot of events on the group on the calendar so yeah and finally IndyCar well we learned just earlier that IndyCar is going to be in Australia well broadcast in Australia that is they haven't come up with a race yet but they're going to be broadcasting in Australia through Fox um, the whole season. It'll be live, which will be just absolutely great given that we've got a cracker of a year coming up. You know, Fernando Alonso heading back to McLaren to do the Indy 500 and the Indy, Indy Grand Prix. Scott McLaughlin making his IndyCar debut at the Grand Prix of Indianapolis as well. Um, how's he going to go and can he end up on the grid for another race? Um, what they're talking about potentially letting him loose on an oval as well later this year. Potentially the Penske home event in Detroit. So yeah, you know, very exciting that we'll be able to see IndyCar live again this year. Not that I get to anyway because it's on too late to, to watch and usually it's early in the morning when I'm on my way to work so potentially I can watch it you know on on stream it on my phone on the way to work but I prefer just watching it on later on in the day when I get home and um, watch it on demand like I am with Formula E at the moment so yeah really exciting that we've gonna we're gonna have that a lot of motorsport to watch this year and talk about and I don't have to pay for Foxtel anymore which is fantastic because I'm going through KO Sports, which is much more affordable and a lot better, I think, as well for anyone looking to to make the change. If you've got Foxtel at the moment and, uh, and are a dissatisfied customer, well, KO is what you need to get onto if, of course, you do have the um, means to stream KO on your TV or whatever. Currently, they're not on um, any console, I think, so they are trying to look at get a um, PS4 app going, but um, at the same time, you can get it on a few smart TVs uh, at the moment, and Apple TV and Chromecast as well are your options. So, yeah, that's that's that. Um, that's this week's podcast as well. So we'll be back next week to preview the Australian Grand Prix because it is going to be race week, round one of who knows how many rounds this year, given that we've got so much uncertainty with the coronavirus at the moment. So... Any developments, of course, I will let you know. I'll let you know next week as well what the toilet paper situation is like because I'm sure I'm going to need some toilet paper because, you know, like a normal person, I only buy enough for for one person and, you know, might be once every two weeks or three weeks I actually have to, to go out and do it and buy more. But at the moment with all the empty shelves, you kind of can't, can you? So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hope you all are 
enjoying yourselves and um yeah we'll see you next week ciao